This is Future of Work Pioneers with your host, Dr. Harpreet Singh at Harvard University. In this show, we speak with pioneers and thought leaders about workforce transformation, AI, and leadership in this exciting space. Hello, everyone. I'm Harpreet Singh, welcoming you to the Future of Work Pioneers podcast. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Anant Agarwal, the CEO of edX. Anant, welcome to the podcast. Harpreet, it's my pleasure to be here. So uh, let's begin by learning a little bit about your background, um, where, where you grew up, your area of study, how you ended up becoming an academic, and then an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, what are, what are the key moments that shaped your uh, career? I grew up in a small town in India, uh, Mangalore. It's on the uh, Arabian Sea part of India. I went to high school there. Uh, and then I went to uh, IIT Madras, where I got my bachelor's degree. And then I came to Stanford in 1982 uh, to get my PhD in uh, uh, electrical engineering. Um, and uh, my advisor there was uh, uh, John Hennessy and also Mark Horowitz, uh, both professors. Uh, John Hennessy went on to become the president of Stanford for many years. I got my PhD there. And in 1987, I uh, joined MIT as a uh, uh, assistant professor in uh, uh, electrical engineering and computer science. And my own research work was in the area of uh, building uh, high-speed computer chips, uh, microprocessors and other computer chips. And uh, that's the research I was doing at MIT. <laughs> Believe it or not, I've been a professor at MIT. I still am a professor uh, at MIT for 32 years now. And uh, I started there uh, end of uh, 1987. Um, along the way, uh, I've started a number of companies. And I've uh, all for-profit companies. There were five for-profit companies in my career, uh, starting with Virtual Machine Works, which was a hardware product to test complicated chips. Uh, I also did uh, software companies, uh, also a wireless chip company, along with uh, several colleagues. So a number of chip companies along the way, and uh, edX is my most recent venture. Uh, unlike the five previous companies, this is my first nonprofit venture. And uh, what is funny is that uh, I'm working harder, much harder at this nonprofit company than at any of my previous for-profit companies. So edX was founded in uh, late 2011. And uh, it was founded by Harvard and MIT uh, to really reimagine education. And so edX is also a startup uh, based in uh, Kendall Square in Massachusetts and in Cambridge. And, uh, but it is a startup and it is a nonprofit. So can you tell us a little bit about the origin story? I mean, why does uh, Harvard and MIT get together uh, to start uh, a venture like this? You know, it's uh, when you look back, uh, uh, the circumstances that bring you to a given place are are so uh, so completely uh, unplanned and uh, um, simple actions that you take, very much like in chaos theory. You know, you heard how when a butterfly beats its wings in the Amazon, they could be typhoons elsewhere in the world. Uh, with chaos theory, you can never tell you know what leads to what. Uh, similarly, in uh, uh, 2011. 
you know, several colleagues and I were brainstorming about how we could reimagine education. As you know, education really hasn't changed a whole lot in hundreds of years. Uh, we still uh, used to teach in pretty much the same way. And, and education is a human right. Um, we should really be applying digital technology to it in a big way. But really, digital technology had not really been applied to education, but it had transformed everything. Cloud computing had shown up. Video distribution at scale had happened. Social networks uh, in the form of Facebook and so on had come up. And also gaming had uh, happened. And so these four technologies came together in uh, uh, you know 2008 2009, so the time timing was right. As as my colleagues and I at MIT, some of the leadership of MIT and Harvard, were brainstorming and thinking about how to reimagine education, how to apply these technologies to education, and truly reimagine how education might look like in the future. That, that's really how edX was born, and uh, and uh, it was great that Harvard and MIT decided to fund it as a nonprofit. And uh, we created edX and we launched the very first MOOC. Um, it was one of the pioneers of the MOOC movement in the early days in uh, 2011 and early 2012. And uh, my colleagues and I launched a course in electronic circuits as the first course on edX. Um, and this was uh, uh, rather an amazing experience. We had uh, 155,000 students take the course from 163 countries. It was uh, a truly an amazing uh, experience. And really, that's how edX was born. Uh, it started off with Harvard and MIT being partners. Uh, Berkeley joined us. Uh, University of Texas System joined us. And uh, very soon, uh, today, we've grown to 150 of the top universities and uh, corporations who are our partners, including besides MIT, Harvard, Berkeley, and uh, University of Texas at Austin and the uh, uh, system, uh, uh, University of Texas system, are universities like uh, uh, Oxford and uh, uh, Indian Institute of Management in Bangalore and IIT Bombay, uh, ETH. Uh, uh, virtually all the Ivy League schools are also our partners at this time. No, that, that's that's brilliant. I mean, the, you know, I, I think edX has done something that was very much needed. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've, I've heard such touching stories where someone in remote parts of the world, uh, you know, has access to education all of a sudden, right? The best professors in the world are accessible to someone. It's, it's actually it's actually an absolutely amazing story. Um, uh, today, it's about nine years since we started. And today we have uh, over 27 million learners from every single country in the world and uh, 150 institutional partners, uh, some of the top universities and corporations in the world creating content on edX. We have uh, over 3,000 courses on edX, which the learners take. And some of the stories beyond the big numbers here, some of the individual stories are absolutely uh, uh, you know, uh, touching. I remember one of our students, uh, Batushig, uh, was a young high schooler, 15 years old in uh, in uh, uh, Mongolia, and uh, Ulan Tor, and uh, he took the circuits course. Uh, this was uh, the course taught by my colleagues and I uh, on edX, the first edX course. And uh, he was this young, uh, brilliant high schooler, and uh, he got a perfect score in the entire course. And, and the, the circuits course is uh, MIT hard. It's one of the hardest courses at MIT, and we were trying to be very high fidelity in the sense, maintain the same quality 
for the online course in terms of rigor and quality as the campus course that uh, I used to teach. And so, and uh, this 15 year old uh, got a, a perfect score on a course that is taken by uh, sophomores at uh, second year students at MIT. Um, the student got written up in the New York Times. Uh, a New York Times reporter actually went to uh, Ulan Bator to uh, shadow uh, Batushig and uh, wrote an amazing story about him in the New York Times. And uh, he ended up coming to MIT where he completed his undergraduate degree. And, uh, and, uh, and then he went on to work. Uh, uh, I believe he went to Facebook and so on. It's just an amazing story. That's, that's brilliant. So, so the, the context of our discussion today is uh, future of work, as you know. And in that context, uh, I had um, seen that MIT had constituted a, a new committee to rethink the curriculum. It was a task force of sorts. And I, I was also interviewed by that task force. Um, this was maybe a year and a half, two years ago. And, uh, and I'm wondering whether, you know, these folks interacted with you to see how online education can become part of this uh, new phenomenon, right? How, how education is re re rethought at MIT. So the MIT task force was looking at what the future of education uh, might look like. And as part of that, they talked to many leaders in the community, such as yourselves. Uh, uh, of course, they're very aware of what's happening with uh, the brainchild of Harvard and MIT, uh, uh, namely edX, and uh, talked to several of us at edX as well. And uh, you know, truly a movement like edX with online education is not only reimagining education as we know it, but it is also impacting the future of work in a really, really big way. As we all know, technologies like you know, basic digital stuff to AI and automation are completely transforming the future of work. Uh, the various studies show that by 2030, uh, you know, more than half of today's jobs will be transformed into newer jobs or will be gone. Uh, and so uh, just imagine having to uh, work around this for half the planet. If half the planet is uh, out of a job because of uh, uh, automation and technology, uh, what do we do? I mean, clearly, they can't be out of a job. So we, they all have to be upskilled. And the jobs will transform to newer jobs. And the people have to be upskilled into these uh, newer jobs where maybe instead of uh, uh, you know, moving goods in a truck, maybe uh, you would work in IT, for example. Or if you were doing marketing, now maybe you're using data and you become a digital marketer. So the advent of data, data-driven decision-making, using AI and machine learning, uh, these are all completely transforming how we think about work. And, uh, and very quickly you realize that we have a planet scale upskilling problem on our hands. And the only way around that is to uh, educate people and get them to upskill. And then you, you know, think about people. One of our students is uh, uh, a uh, professional by the name of Andrew. And uh, uh, he, you know, he, he works at United Airlines and he told us a story. And uh, he realized that he needed project management um, and more business skills to be able to uh, advance in his work. And so uh, he has a child and no way he's in his mid thirties, no way is he going to go back to university to get a degree. You know, uh, the opportunity cost is too big. He's not going to be able to, uh, to uh, take, uh, take off a whole year from work and go and study there. So, so it's really hard. So what does a professional like that do? So he discovered 
the MicroMasters in Project Management on edX from the Rochester Institute of uh, Technology. He completed that MicroMasters, and uh, Andrew today is a project manager at uh, United Airlines. So just one example of a story of learners who can upskill, who are professionals, who need to upskill. And in order to do that, uh, what were our solutions? One, they have to learn online. They can't go to a campus. And so uh, for the future of work, working professionals have to learn online. They have to learn where they are and learning has to come to them as opposed to they going to learning. Second, learning has to become modular. Uh, no way he could have completed a full master's degree, didn't have the time. So the MicroMasters is about 25% of a master's degree. It's a small piece of a master's degree with a valuable credential called a MicroMasters. So he earned a MicroMasters from the Rochester Institute of Technology, and he was able to get a career advancement. So modular credential, a, uh, uh, a smaller amount of time that you put into it, a fully online program, and a high-valued uh, credential, these are all important for learners to be able to upskill and reskill. And of course, lower cost. Uh, you can earn a full MicroMasters for about $1,000 to $2,000. And admission is free. So it's open admissions, uh, very low cost online. So these are all some of the radical ways that we are rethinking education for the future of work. Yeah, no, I think that that makes a lot of sense uh, given the context we are in. Uh, you know, there was just a report recently that uh, John Hopkins uh, in this because the COVID crisis has lost maybe 450 million bucks, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and they, they're, they're really going to be struggling, uh, you, you know, moving forward. And Clayton Christensen, I think there was an article um, in, uh, uh, about a year and a half ago where he predicted that 50% of U.S. colleges are bound for bankruptcy in the next decade. Uh, so, so, you know, every university really needs to reimagine, you know, how they're going to uh, re rethink these degrees and rethink the curriculum. Well, how does the online component uh, pr some perhaps supplements or even displaces the brick and mortar component, uh, right? So, are you seeing um, a greater adoption? I know at, at Harvard, uh, we, we're using a lot more of edX, right? With, with, uh, with the classes no longer on campus, but are you seeing um, more such requests coming from other universities as well? So, uh Certainly before uh, the COVID pandemic uh, in early March or in February, um, you know, the world was thinking about online learning, reimagining education for the future of work. It was nice to have and so on. And only a small percentage of the world was learning online. And then around middle of March, uh, everything changed. 100% of the world was learning online, whether you were in university or in a job and you were also working 100% remotely. So everything completely changed overnight. And suddenly, uh, not surprisingly, uh, a lot of the things that were nice to have became mission critical, and uh, uh, not just for universities, but also for companies. And so on edX, we have seen just a skyrocketing of interest in uh, online courses and programs. So for example, uh, our enrollments, uh, in edX courses in the last week is up by 1,000% over uh, the first week of March. And so in six weeks, we've seen a 1,000% increase in the number of people enrolling in online courses. And uh, we did a survey of the learners to say, you know, why are they coming to edX? Why are they learning at this time? And 38% uh, uh, of the learners are saying that 
look, they have these extra time on their hands and they want to learn something new. Uh, 11% of them are telling us that uh, uh, they are out of a job and they're using this time to upskill. And about 16 to 17% of learners are telling us that uh, they're just using this time to uh, get a certificate to learn and upskill so that they can uh, get a better advancement in their current job. And so, so we have a huge range of reasons why people are coming during this time. And COVID-19 has simply accelerated what was a gradual trend that was happening previously. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. And it's amazing to see a thousand percent growth in a week <laughs> that beats any startup numbers. <laughs> so so um, when we think of MOOCs, is that still a viable framework? Like given uh, all the crit- criticisms around completion rates and uh, the fact that education is not as personalized, how do you how how do you think about MOOCs? So MOOCs uh, really are online courses, and uh, unfortunately, people compared the completion rate of people who are just casually coming into a course and checking it out. Uh, you know, people were commingling those statistics where people who were taking the course seriously on a campus, uh, people have paid fifty thousand dollars in tuition for the year, and when they register for a course. When they talk about completion rates, people count the people that are have registered for a course and are taking the course and have not dropped it. But in a MOOC, um, everybody is trying things out for various reasons. There are all sorts of reasons why people are in a course. Some people want to learn something new. Uh, they don't care about a certificate. Um, but if you look at numbers of learners that are in there to earn a certificate, then that is a more fair comparison point. And on edX, for people that have paid for a certificate, Mm -hmm. uh, the completion rate across the board for MOOCs is about 60%. And the 60% is a good number compared to the past rates in many universities. And so uh, I think think people have used statistics in a way that statistics should not be used in uh, in painting MOOCs as having low completion rates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, may, may makes sense. I think these the, looking at certificate holders is a much better metric than, than overall because people can just sign up for free, so it doesn't really cost them anything to sign up. You know, I, you know, I like to joke up and ask people, uh, uh, what what is the completion rate for YouTube videos? You never ask that question because, you know, you, when you ask people. How many of you have watched a YouTube video to the, to the very end? And nobody does. So the completion rate for YouTube videos then is 0%. So does that mean that YouTube videos are not a good thing? They're a great thing. People learn a lot from YouTube videos. But I think it's very important for us to realize that we have to use the right metrics and uh, for the right modalities. When people can come in and take free courses um, and maybe sit in on one lecture or two lectures, um, they are getting something good out of it. And so we can't use 19th century metrics to look at 21st century uh, technological advancements. This episode is brought to you by Experfy. Incubated in Harvard Innovation Lab, Experfy provides custom future of work solutions, such as private talent clouds and skill taxonomies. Experfy differentiates itself by using subject matter experts to pre-vet and pipeline candidates for AI and high-end technology skills. However, Experfy Talent Cloud Platform is skill agnostic 
and can be licensed to build custom talent clouds for any and all skills. In a different use case, enterprises interested in employee intermobility can license the Expropy platform to create an internal gigs marketplace where interested employees can be algorithmically matched to projects, gamifying their learning experience. Visit www.expertify.com for more information. You touched upon credentialing a moment ago, and uh, I think credentialing is something also that needs to evolve, right? I mean, people think about degrees as the the, fi the final way of judging a person's uh, worth. Uh, and, and in some ways, that is also rapidly shifting. Uh, a few companies like ENY have uh, uh, removed a bachelor's degree as a uh, you know, requirement to give someone a job. And uh, so, so, but I think that the real challenge is that how do you measure um, skills, right? And how, how do you um, uh, determine someone knows something? I think the, uh, there again, uh, as new technologies come in, we have to think about how do we how do we measure? In the past, people looked at pass rates, right? You know, did you pass as a sign of success? And no one cared about whether, uh, you know, when you passed the course, uh, whether you got a good job or not. So we measure outcomes based on we conduct surveys of learners, and uh, our learners who've completed MicroMasters programs, for example, eighty-seven percent of them are telling us that they had a career advancement within three months of getting a MicroMasters certificate where your career advancement could be a pay raise, a promotion, or a new job. And to us, that is a good measure of an outcome. You know, did you get what you were looking for? Did you get a outcome that you cared about? And did you get the right skills that you were able to get uh, a career advancement and do better at your job? So I think it's important to look at outcomes rather than more meaningless metrics as to uh, how much time did you spend in the course or how much seat time did you put in? Um, I think it's really important to look at outcomes, and that's what we do. Mm -hmm. No, no, it makes sense. I think that that's amazing that uh, you, you've got those kind of outcomes. Um, so, are you are you measuring those um, through surveys? Uh, how how do, you, how do you measure that? Yes, we we measure those through surveys, and uh, uh, we survey learners who completed programs like a MicroMasters program, for example, uh, right after they've completed, uh, three months after they've completed, and and do these longitudinal studies, and we find that eighty-seven percent of learners are uh, claiming a career advancement as a result of their MicroMasters credential. And, and, and do you find um, employers approaching edX that, hey, find me the best person who's coding Python or some, some other, you know, uh, has some, some, some skill? Are, are employers also approaching you? Absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, edX is both a uh, business-to-consumer business, a B2C, uh, where we have these 27 million learners coming and taking our courses. We also have a B2B where we work with the companies uh, to help upskill their employee bases. We have over 700 corporate uh, B2B customers of edX. And uh, many of these companies care deeply about not only upskilling their employees, but also using edX courses to help screen uh, newcoming people, um, to screen uh, potential candidates for jobs. So as an example, uh, you know, we've partnered with the Tech Mahindra in India. And uh, Tech Mahindra will guarantee an interview to anybody from India that has completed one of 10 MicroMasters programs. If they complete any one of programs like AI from Columbia or uh, uh, supply chain management from MIT and 
you know, and so or data science, for example, they will guarantee them with an interview. And so many corporates are stepping up uh, uh, in in offering interviews of the sort. Uh, Boston Globe in Boston has uh, just a few months ago uh, launched a program where they will guarantee an interview to anybody that completed uh, certain data science programs on edX. Uh, and so we have more and more companies that are stepping up looking to use these new credentials to uh, either hire new employees or upskill their existing employees. That, that's great. Uh, so so um, another um, uh, related question is around uh, the, the, the schools that are, you know, you know, not preparing students for the jobs of the future. Schools are really struggling to, to uh, streamline their curricula. Right, they, they don't have the resources of someone like an MIT to really engage deeply with the industry. So, how do you how do you you know see those schools evolving? I mean, what, what are the ways in which something something like an edX can help them? So, uh, you know, uh, there are tens of thousands of universities around the world, and uh, they've all sent their students home, and the students are learning from home. Uh, my own daughter. Um, Anisha is a junior in college and uh, she's in the next room and she's studying uh, completely online. So the entire world, 100% of the world's students went online at, at the roll of a dice very quickly. You know, 100% of, of people went uh, online. And so what we do is we've launched a program. Uh, it's called edX Online Campus, where uh, a university anywhere in the world can sign up today with edX and uh, they can get free, uh, they can get a catalog of edX courses from MIT, Harvard, Berkeley, and a number of our partners completely for free for their campus students uh, during this COVID period. And so we've opened it up to any university and any and all universities around the world. And uh, within 24 hours of launching this program last week, uh, you know, we had uh, uh, 250 uh, filled out applications uh, looking where people are looking for the universities to become uh, users of edX content. And so we are looking for ways to help universities, not just during COVID-19, mm -hmm. but I believe that even after we are through uh, COVID-19, I believe that the future of learning is blended. Mm -hmm. uh, we've always believed it, but I believe uh, COVID-19 has only accelerated this future where the future of learning will be blended. It will involve both in-person learning and also online learning. And, uh, and edX online campus is just one kind of offering where universities can sign up their students uh, to take edX courses. And so uh, uh, this is a way in which universities can augment uh, all the courses that they offer themselves uh, with uh, content from other partners so that the students can benefit uh, both during current times when they don't have a lot of online courses um, and certainly in the future, when they can uh, also create a blended modality of learning. So, so very, very interestingly, um, as the cost of higher education is skyrocketing, right? So, if you've got uh, something, some a place like a Boston University or a Northeastern here in Boston, yeah. where, where both of us are, uh, you know, the, the the cost is somewhere in the ballpark of sixty thousand dollars, seventy thousand dollars a year, uh, with room and board. And as that approaches 100,000, 150,000 in the next 20 years, um, very few people are going to be able to afford 
uh, you know, online, uh, uh, rather a brick and mortar university. So, um, and, and my um, concern is that, you know, we, we may end up creating a two tier society where the elite or the rich end up in a brick and mortar university and uh, the folks who cannot afford education end up uh, in an online context. And, uh, but, but we know that, like, as you mentioned, blending, blended learning is important because uh, you develop soft skills, interpersonal skills, right? In, 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 a, in a brick and mortar context, it's, it's harder to do that online or, or am, I, am I wrong in that? You, you think, is it possible to, to develop those skills online as well? You know, I think, first of all, uh, 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 I don't buy the argument that uh, there will be a world in the future where the wealthy get to go on campus and all the others get to do online programs. I, I just don't buy that at all for many reasons. One is there are any number of online programs today, uh, degree programs from uh, other, uh, from uh, universities and from other uh, online uh, for-profit companies where the prices of their online degrees are the same or comparable to those of on-campus degrees. So you shouldn't at all assume that online is cheaper in general. Uh, second, uh, in terms of quality, uh, uh, you know, who's to say which is better? Um, I think there are many benefits to online. There are many benefits to in-person and clearly the Bendel Clearly, the blended model has been shown to be better than exclusively online or exclusively in person. Um, edX, for one, is working with the university partners to create higher quality programs, as well as lowering the cost for everybody to make education accessible to everybody. So as an example, uh, we have a master's in analytics with our partner Georgia Tech for $10,000. The campus degree is $43,000, $44,000 and the online degree is $10,000, and uh, it is a scaled degree, and people get the same credential, the same degree, the same piece of paper. Similarly, we have a computer science degree from UT Austin, and uh, that is $10,000. And just uh, last week, we launched a master's degree from the number one online master's degree uh, by US News and World Report, in mechanical engineering from Purdue University on edX. And uh, that was launched last week. And uh, so we are launching a number of these programs that are affordable and also increase access. And, uh, and in many cases, they provide the same credential that learners earn on campus. And uh, in terms of quality, I would say that online is comparable to on campus, but then when you blend the two together, mm -hmm. online and in person, it is simply known to be that you can get the best of both worlds. And I see a world where people who go to campus will be clamoring for some online content. It gives them flexibility. Uh, they can pace themselves. They can uh, get multiple tries on homeworks. They get instant feedback. I believe that even campus education uh, is going to move in the blended direction all the more faster now because of COVID-19. Do you need uh, to be in a context where you interact with people physically uh, in order to learn interpersonal skills? Or can we evolve into a society where we can do that over Zoom? Do you have a question about soft skills? Um, I don't for a moment buy that soft skills can only be uh, developed fully uh, by interacting face-to-face. -face. Of course, you know, face-to-face -face interaction is great. 
you know, I'm hunkered down at home during COVID-19, during this period, during when we are recording. And uh, it's very clear that I'm really missing the interaction with my colleagues and, and uh, students and others. It's, it's clear that we're all missing that. At the same time, we also know that in-person interaction helps you develop many of the soft skills like empathy, listening skills, teamwork, and so on. But I also do want to point out that you can also learn those online. Um, in virtually all the education I've gone through, in virtually all the education that exists in universities and colleges today, soft skills are not taught as a discipline. You hope you pick them up. However, you can teach soft skills as a discipline. And in fact, uh, on edX, we have launched a number of soft skills courses and programs. So for example, uh, we have uh, soft skills courses on edX. We have a professional certificate in soft skills from uh, uh, Rochester Institute of Technology. And there, there are multiple courses uh, in critical thinking, in teamwork, in negotiation, in uh, presentation skills, and storytelling. These are all some of the pillars of soft skills. And these can all be learned online. You just have to go and take the professional certificate in soft skills, and you can learn for free. And for a small fee, you can even earn a certificate in soft skills. And you can learn all of these things online. Uh, in fact, you know, our children are all digital natives, and uh, they're all learning how to communicate and interact with everybody completely online. Uh, you know, heck, people go to dating sites and date online. So, so the whole world is going digital. So my belief is that the future is going to be blended. It's going to be both digital and it's going to be in person. And, uh, and I think COVID-19 will only accelerate uh, this blended future. Yeah, you know, it makes a lot of sense. So, so um, what does the roadmap look like for edX, say, 30 years fast forward? You know, I've stopped predicting uh, things out into the future. Uh, <laughs> virtually everything that I've said will happen uh, 10 or 20 years from now has uh, happened within a short amount of time. When we started edX, I said that uh, one day uh, universities will give credit for MOOCs. One day, uh, different universities will be adopting MOOCs for credit on their campuses. One day, multiple universities will band together and offer hybrid degrees where people learn uh, uh, credit-bearing courses from each of these universities. One day, we will have exams on edX that have, the, that have great fidelity in terms of uh, technologies to prevent cheating and so on. And uh, in the early days of edX uh, in 2011 and 2012, when I talked about it, I said, oh, it, it will take 10 years or 20 years to get there. But shockingly, our first credit-bearing courses on edX came from Arizona State University, and those happened uh, uh, you know, uh, six years ago and happened within a few years of edX. And uh, uh, two years ago, we launched a hybrid degree from Arizona State University and MIT in supply chain management, where students can complete a micro master's in supply chain management from MIT. And then after admissions into ASU, they can complete a supply chain management fully online degree on edX and for about $20,000. And so here you are uh, where you have the top two supply chain management, the top two ranked universities collaborating to offer a master's degree. And all of these things happen very quickly. So uh, what do I think will happen in 30 years? Uh, I believe that education will become modular, omni-channel and lifelong. I believe that these three are the future of education. Modular means that 
Today, education is one size fits all. You get a full degree. If you leave halfway through, you're a dropout, you're a failure. I believe education will be modular, where people will be earning micro-credentials for smaller pieces of learning, like micro-masters at the graduate level or micro-bachelors at the undergraduate level, where they'll be earning for about uh, six, seven, eight, nine credits worth of work. They will be getting a valuable credential so they can showcase smaller amounts of work. Uh, these modular credentials will stack up into full degrees, and uh, many of these full degrees will come from multiple institutions. It will be like education has gone the Lego way, like Lego education, where you can mix and match pieces of education uh, from different places to create full degrees. Oh, that, that would be a exciting future. Uh, I think we all want that. And the second, uh, so one is modular education. The second is omni-channel learning, where education will, just like retail has gone omni-channel. You know, Amazon now owns Whole Foods, where you can shop in person or you can order online. Similarly, education will become omni-channel. I believe every university that is still standing at that time will be offering both online learning or in-person learning, both for the residential students and for their online students. And really, blended will become the new normal. And third is lifelong learning, where today learning generally tends to be equated to learning between the ages of 18 and 22. You learn for four years and then you work. I believe in the future, learning will be completely lifelong where people will be learning throughout life. We are already seeing that happening for the future of work where you have to keep learning uh, just to stay abreast of where you are and you have to learn to make progress. As I said, 87% of our MicroMasters earners are seeing career advancements because of the credential. And most of these people already have a degree. So I think that lifelong learning will become commonplace. And uh, you know, maybe a day will come when uh, you uh, complete using micro-bachelor programs that we've launched on edX from our university partners. You'll complete one year of a college degree using micro-bachelors while you are in a high school. Then you will go to a campus to get the campus experience for one year or two years, maybe. Okay, so you spend... Uh, uh, one or two years on campus to get the you spend one or two years on campus to get the campus experience where you interact with other students and so on and then maybe you leave uh, university after two years and go to work and you'll keep learning while you work upskilling as you go throughout life and so learning becomes lifelong and a continuum as opposed to uh, you come in for a short amount of time for four years and then uh, you go and work for the rest of their life no, that, that, that's very exciting. So, and I think that's exactly where we are headed, right? I mean, given these changes you, you described, and, uh, and I think each one of these is being validated in some way or another. I, I think we're headed there, and uh, we are working with the university partners to create this new future. Mm -hmm. And uh, our university partners in edX were working on this, uh, you know, uh, for many years, uh, modular learning. Omni-channel education and lifelong learning, and what COVID nineteen has shown us is that uh, as we've all been sent home, suddenly uh, everybody has become a lifelong learner. Everybody has become a omni-channel learner, and everybody's looking for modular credentials. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, enrollments in our micro masters programs—it's our uh, graduate level modular credentials 
has gone up by 300% over the past six weeks. And so uh, enrollments across the board are going up and uh, people are looking at these modular credentials as something that can stand them in good stead, stand them in good stead whether they're working today or if they've lost a job and they're looking to upskill and beef up their resume so they can post this credential on their LinkedIn profile or in their resume. Yeah, make makes sense. So any any parting words for the audience before we go? Oh, you know, I think the future of learning is uh, lifelong. And uh, I think all of us have to become lifelong learners. And I don't think uh, it took us COVID-19 to realize that. Um, I think COVID-19 will simply accelerate us into this future of modular, omni-channel, and uh, lifelong learning. Uh, we've launched a course on edX on how to learn online. I think how to learn online is becoming an important life skill. And so we launched this course uh, two weeks ago, and we already have over 30,000 learners uh, who are taking this course. And uh, many of them are telling us, uh, oh my goodness, uh, I did not really realize how to learn online. There are certain disciplines you have to use. Learning online is a bit different than learning on campus, mm -hmm. where you have to create various strategies for yourself. So we launched an online course that helps people uh, figure out how to learn online. And so uh, I would encourage you to go uh, check out this course and uh, you know, see what online learning is like if you haven't gotten into it. And if you're already doing online learning, well, then you're one step ahead already. That's great. That's great advice. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure, Ananth, uh, speaking with you. It's very inspiring. Uh, and we look forward to uh, continuing the conversation. Thank you, Harpreet. This was uh, really terrific, and I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Future of Work Pioneers podcast. Please rate us wherever you get your podcast, and also tell your colleagues and friends about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for a new episode with yet another pioneer shaping the future of work.